great to be here this morning, great to celebrate Father's Day. Um, I hope if you're a dad or a granddad, someone remembered you and sent you a card. Um, but we will be giving you chocolates as you leave this morning, so at least that's something. Um, my son, a few years ago, went to work for my husband, and that was a bit of a kind of awkward transition from father and son to boss and employee. And in that first couple of weeks, um, you know, Chris found it quite strange. Instead of calling him dad, he would have to say William, you know, if he's writing an email or they were in a team meeting. And it, it took a little bit of getting used to. Fortunately, it's all worked out well and they're still working together happily. And it's like that in life, isn't it, that we have different roles and kind of different titles and different aspects of our personality and our character that come out in different contexts. And today we're going to look at three names of God that he reveals in Exodus. Three different aspects of his character. Warrior, healer, and banner. Now if you missed last week's preach by Phil Varley, I would really encourage you download it, listen to it. It was really brilliant, and it was all about the way that God miraculously rescued the Israelites as they came through the Red Sea and completely defeated the Egyptians. And they saw dramatically that God was their warrior. So we're going to pick up the story on the other side of the Red Sea. And basically, they're all together in Exodus chapter 15, rejoicing, dancing, singing, even the tambourines come out, and all is well. So let me read to you the first few verses from Exodus 15. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. That's the Egyptian chariots. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. And in that moment, they are just so thankful because God has done everything to rescue them. He has fought their battle, and he has brought them safely through. I don't know if you've had experiences like that where God has worked on your behalf, answered your prayers. Maybe you look back to the day that you first trusted in Jesus as a savior, and it was a day of joy and victory. But within a few days, they are grumbling. And sometimes that happens to us too. They've lost sight of who God is. So let's read what happens next in Exodus 15, uh, beginning at verse 22. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. Now, it's always good to to note when the Bible mentions three days. That should kind of remind us 
of the three days between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. You know, Good Friday, where Jesus appears defeated, dead, buried. And then those three days, which end in Easter Sunday, where Jesus is raised from the dead, victorious over death, evil, sin. But in this story, it's like it's reversed. So they start on the victory, all is well, God is victorious, but within three days, they are grumbling, and they're finding it hard to imagine that God is on their side. They've seen him take them through a big expanse of water and divide it and the Egyptians be buried, but they don't think that God can help them with the small water problem that they're currently facing. How quickly they've forgotten who God is. And how quickly we do that too, don't we, if we're honest. We forget. You know, most of us here in this room, we've known God answer our prayers. We've known him change us. We've known him fight on our behalf. And, and yet sometimes we just forget who he is. God the warrior fighting on our behalf. And, you know, God can do that just time and time again. He doesn't tire of being our God. And he wants us to remember what he has done for us. However, in this context, God is gracious. And he's often really, really gracious to us, isn't he? They are ex-slaves. They are weary. They are tired. They're hungry. And God moves towards them. So Moses cries out. Moses listens to God, that's so crucial, and he obeys what God says. God says, put the wood in the water, and the water is made clean. They can drink from it, and they can be satisfied and move on. And you know, God, he loves them, and he wants to provide for them, but he also wants them to learn to grow up a little bit. And so in verse 26, we read this. God says to the people, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So this is another name, another aspect of God's character he's revealing to, to them. And he's saying, look, I want to be in partnership with you. I, I want you to be like Moses, to listen and obey. And then I will act on your behalf and I will heal you. I will protect you. I will be your God. And God is looking to move them to becoming partners with him, to have a covenant relationship. He's not just the dramatic warrior that acts on their behalf. He cares for them. He wants to know them and for them to know him. We're going to see over the next couple of weeks, that's going to take a while to sink in. And next week, Phil is going to be speaking about manna and water again, because this is a repeated lesson. And that's okay. God likes to tell us things again and again, because we don't always get it. But we're going to move on now today to Exodus 17, where we see God acting on their behalf again, but in a slightly different way. We're going to see them facing their first battle. And this is going to be a big challenge. Remember, they're they're just 
newly freed slaves. They're a, they're a little bit moany. You know, they're more dad's army than SAS. They know how to turn mud and straw into bricks. But I don't think they knew how to fight. Uh, we don't know what weapons they had. I, I think they would have been a motley bunch. They would have been very happy when God defeated the Egyptians because they would have known they didn't have a chance against them. And in this moment, I think they're going to be wondering, can we defend ourselves against the Amalekites? And maybe you feel like that. You feel like, I'm not sure I have the resources to deal with what's coming at me in my life. Maybe you feel under pressure. Maybe you feel under attack. And you're like, I'm not sure if I can get through this. Well, hopefully as we look at this story, you'll find courage and inspiration to take you forward. So let's look at Exodus 17 and beginning at verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down. And then Aaron and Hur held his arms up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely block out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. So we see a progression here from at the Red Sea, God does everything, they do nothing. At Mara, Moses prays, he puts the wood in the water, and things get cleaned up. And then in this story, Moses is going to have to lift up his arms and pray, but Joshua is going to be in the valley. He's fighting all day long to get the victory. And it ends not with the people of God saying, oh great, Joshua won the victory, or Moses held up his arms so that they got the victory. No, they're going to say, the Lord is my banner. It was the Lord that did it. They were just partnering with God. The banner in, a, in an ancient you know, kind of battle scene is, is the place where people got direction and rally. That's where they came to, to see whether we go forward or back. It was the, the kind of demonstration of how things were going in the battle. And God is saying, I am the warrior. I am the healer. I am your banner. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I find some of the battle stories in the Old Testament quite difficult to kind of relate to. Sometimes they're quite gory, and they seem very distant from us. 
And so I want to give you a, a, a couple of thoughts to help you kind of relate to the battle story and the, the, the battle imagery of as God as warrior and the banner. When we look at the Old Testament, we really need to begin by trying to understand it from their point of view. What was actually happening in that moment, in that day, in that historical setting? Then we need to reflect on New Testament teaching and see if that has something to say, to illuminate the story. And only then do we come to the point where we say, okay, how does that relate to me in the 21st century? So when we look at this story historically, the reality is that they were under attack. Uh, The Amalekites, who are a nomadic tribe, they have attacked them. And so they've got three choices. They can either fight back, they can let themselves be overrun and all die, or they can be taken back into slavery. So they really didn't have much wiggle room. And God has already said to them, I want you to be free people, to worship me, and to become a people uh, set apart for me. And so their only option, really, is to go into physical battle with real people, and that's going to be bloody. Then we've got to remember that they are in the process of building themselves into a nation under God. They are needing to gain physical land and physical territory. They need to become a political kingdom. And the only way they're going to do that is to, is to defeat enemies and take territory. The other thing that's often going on in battles in the Old Testament is that God is judging the enemies of God, often for idolatry and sin. And so there's present judgment happening on the enemies of God. So how does that relate to the New Testament teaching that we believe in? Well, if you go to Ephesians 6, Paul says, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against spiritual powers and authorities that are behind the things that we see happening physically. So we're not called to, as people, be out there fighting people, definitely. We're not fighting flesh and blood. We are not building a political kingdom, a physical nation. No, we are part of a spiritual kingdom. It's interesting that when Jesus was on earth, many of his followers really wanted him to take action against the Roman government. I mean, the Romans were brutal and oppressive, But Jesus didn't inspire any kind of violence against the Romans. Instead, he said, love your enemies. And the ironic thing is that that message of love over decades permeated the whole of the Roman Empire. When Jesus came to earth, he said, we need to bring the kingdom in. But it was a kingdom of love and grace and mercy. So we shouldn't be calling down curses on people or asking God to destroy others, Old Testament style. We are called to be people of love and grace. We are in a season where God wants everybody to have the opportunity to hear the gospel. And it's time to us to call people to repentance and faith in this season. 
Now, that doesn't mean that God has gone soft on evil. God is still the warrior. But judgment in our age is largely to come in the last time, the, the end of the age, when, when Jesus returns and God ro- ro- kind of rolls everything up. And in that day, evil will be judged. People will have to give account. Every knee will bow before Jesus. And God's rule and reign, his peace, his shalom, will cover every inch of the universe. But until that happens... We're called to be people who love our enemies and share the good news of the gospel. So bearing all that in mind, what is the application of this story? Well, for centuries, Christians have seen this story as an example of persevering prayer, of spiritual warfare. And Ephesians 6 in the New Testament captures the spirit of this. So we're going to read some of the verses uh, from Ephesians 6, uh, beginning at verse 10. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So he lists all the different parts of the armor and then it ends in verse 18 with saying, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all God's people. So that's our primary way of battling, is in prayer. Now, this morning, I'm not standing here saying that I'm an expert in this, that I've got this kind of, you know, under wraps. No, I am a disciple of Jesus, and I'm still growing in prayer and learning how to pray more effectively. And if you're a disciple, you need to be doing that as well. One of the things that helped me a while ago was watching a movie called The War Room. Some of you may have seen it. It's a Christian movie, and the whole kind of heart of the movie is how can we get better at praying according to the Word of God, using the Word of God to battle in prayer. It's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, I would recommend it. It kind of ends a little bit too neatly and happy ever after, as movies often do, Most of us who have been Christians for a while know that praying is, you know, you you have to keep going. And sometimes it's days and weeks and months and years and decades sometimes before we see the answer. We're called to persevere in prayer. And from that movie, a, a book has been published called The Battle Plan of Prayer, I would really recommend it. It's um, a simple, straightforward, easy-to-read book that helps you grow in prayer. And uh, there's a chapter in it particularly about how to battle in prayer. And so I'm going to pinch some of the ideas from that and share them with you today. And I hope they will equip you to pray more effectively going forward. When the Israelites were attacked... 
they had to respond. They couldn't just do nothing. They had to respond. And when we're under pressure, when things go wrong in our life, when we face challenges, temptations, we need to respond. And they have produced a a neat little acrostic on the word respond. I'm going to go through it, and hopefully it's going to encourage you and build you up in prayer. So the first letter is R, resist Satan in Jesus' name. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm going all kind of weird and spooky on you or anything like that. And if you're a visitor here this morning, we don't believe that everything that happens to you is the devil's fault. He is not that powerful. But some things are a direct attack from him, and other things he uses, and he tempts us, and he whispers in our ear to undermine us. And we need to resist him in Jesus' name. James 4 says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We don't resist in our own strength. We resist in the name of Jesus, and we stand our ground. That's what Ephesians says, stand your ground. The second letter is E, escape with scripture. This is so vital. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, every temptation he answered with a verse of scripture. That's how he won his battles. So even more so for us. Now you may say, but I don't know my Bible that well. I can't quote verses. Okay, well, grow in that. But in the meantime, I mean, this morning we've talked about the scripture says, God is a warrior, God is a healer, God is a banner. So you can take that biblical truth and you can pray it. You can say, Lord, I feel I'm in a battle. I feel things are going against me. But you are my warrior. I'm going to stand on that. I'm going to believe that, that you're my warrior. You're going to fight on my behalf. Maybe you're sick and you you can't think of a good verse, but you say, no, I know it says in Exodus that you are the healer. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe that you are going to heal me. You're going to work in my body, on my behalf. So let's grab hold of the Bible and use it to pray back to God. When one of my kids was a baby, they were in hospital, uh, quite seriously ill for about five weeks. And William and I, at that time, we'd, um, we read Isaiah 54, and there's a verse in there that says, no weapon forged against you will prevail. And so we were battling with that verse. And then we also saw that in the chapter it says, and your sons will be taught by the Lord, and they will know peace. So we grabbed that as well, and we just prayed it back to God over that, that time. And it ended well. Our son was fine. He was healed. God was in it. But we've, we've got to do that. We've got to pick up Scripture and use it as a weapon. S, search for unconfessed sin. You know, sometimes the things that happen to us aren't the devil's fault. They're our fault. We have let sin into our lives. And the devil will get on the back of that and he'll say, oh, you're useless, you've sinned again, you know, don't bother even praying, you're useless. No, let's repent. Let's say to God, sorry, Lord, 
I've messed up. I've let this happen. The consequences I'm facing in my, in my life are because of my, some of my sin. I'm just sorry. Please, Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me. Help me stand again. And the quicker we do that, the more victory we will get in our lives. P, plead the blood of Jesus. Now, that, that sounds a bit of a religious phrase, but it's based on biblical truth. Remember the story of Passover, how they, the people of Israel, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, they killed the lamb, they put the blood over the lintel of their homes. And that sign of the blood gave them protection from the punishment and the judgment of God. Jesus died on the cross and his blood was spilt so that we can be forgiven and cleansed and can know ourselves children of God, protected by our heavenly Father. So when we say plead the bud, we're basically going back to God and saying, your son died for me. Respond to me because of that. Cover me with your blood. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Give me strength again. Protect me because of that relationship I have with you through the cross of Jesus. O, overtake ground given to Satan. Now, sometimes we in our own life, because of sin, we do give Satan ground in our life. And we need to, again, repent and, and you know, confess, get forgiven, get rid of that. Jesus himself said, not only we should stand ground, but we should pray that God's kingdom comes, that his will is done on earth as in heaven. So there is also a place to advance the kingdom of God. You know, we're not going to see the kingdom advance in Beckenham and see that site grow and people come to faith in Jesus unless we pray, unless we pray. I know some of the guys are doing prayer walks already and praying because we want to see new ground taken. Yesterday on Alpha Saturday, uh, four people came to faith for the first time. Many people were filled with the Holy Spirit and given gifts of the Holy Spirit. That came because the team prayed. Pray, prayer is the way to advance the kingdom of God. N, name someone or something in targeted prayer. Prayer needs to be specific and targeted. Don't be vague. Don't say, oh, you know, bless me, Lord, today. No, be specific. Be specific. If you don't target certain uh, aspects that you want to see God work in, then how will you know that he's really answered your prayer if you're so vague? And many people write down their prayer requests, and then they see the answers, and they write them down too. Let's, let's be specific and targeted. You know, at the end of Ephesians 6, Paul says this, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. So he doesn't just say, pray for me. No, pray for me that whenever I speak, I will be given words and I won't be scared. And the mystery of the gospel will be proclaimed. So when you're praying for people, pray specific things. Let's see God answer 
specific things. And then imagine the testimonies that will be, that will be coming forward from that. I love the story of uh, Abraham and Sarah. They were promised that they would have children and that they would be the father and mother of a great nation. But as they got older, no children appeared. And we read this in Romans chapter 4. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Now, some of you have got promises of God over your life, and that is great. You need to keep holding on to them. Some of you are facing battles and challenges, but you're still in a bit of denial about what's really happening. Face the facts of where you are. Maybe you're in debt. Okay, be honest. How much are you in debt? Ask for help. Share with someone. Bring that debt to God. Go on a cap course. Start uh, budgeting and working with God. Don't just be like, oh, God, give me money. No, let's work with God. Let's work with God. Joshua was in the valley fighting. Okay? So we need to work with God and be specific and tell him exactly what we need. A few years ago, many of you know my husband went through cancer treatment. And we didn't just pray, oh God, heal him, although we did pray that, definitely. But we also prayed specific prayers. You know, we prayed about no side effects. We prayed that we, he wouldn't suffer infections during the chemo. We prayed, that, we prayed that his results would be above and beyond what the doctors expected. And all those prayers were answered. And he is completely free of cancer. So don't deny where you're at. If you've got an illness and you're dealing with it, then deal with it. Go for the test, take the treatment, and keep praying and keep battling and bring other people in alongside you. Lastly, delight in the Lord. When you are waiting for God to answer, keep praising him. Keep lifting up his name, warrior, healer, banner. Keep worshiping because that will stir faith in you and will give you the spiritual energy to keep going. You know, one of the things I've been doing, I was praying for this message. And and one of the specific things I was praying is that at least 10 people will have a definite testimony of God breaking into their lives because of this message this morning. And one of them could be you. So Moses built an altar to the Lord my banner, and he wrote it down so that no one would forget. Later on in Israel's history, they go through loads of battles and loads of difficulties. And in the time of Isaiah, there were other military forces just overwhelming the nation of Israel. And eventually, the people are deported and exiled. And Isaiah, in chapter 11, verse 10, says this, 
In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. Jesus was a descendant of Jesse. He was the root of Jesse. He is our banner, not just for a political nation of Israel, but for all nations. And his, his Sabbath, his resting place is glorious. Jesus is our banner. You know, Moses lifted up his hands and the rod of God, and he saw a small victory. Jesus' hands were lifted up on the cross. He was on a hill for all to see, and he battled on our behalf. He battled for yours and for my salvation and forgiveness and healing and cleansing. And he ended that battle saying, it is finished. He won the victory for us. He disarmed the powers and the authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. But you know what? He still stands. He still stands by the right hand of God, by the throne of grace, and intercedes for you and I. Hebrews 7 says this, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. He can save you completely from whatever you are facing. He will always pray for you. He loves you. He's praying for you right now. And he's longing to release power and answered prayers and healing and victory over us this morning. So let's stand. Let's stand, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to worship God and see him work this morning. Lord God, you are the warrior. You are the healer. You are our banner. We rally to you. We believe that you love us. We believe you're all-powerful and able to save us completely. So as we worship, I pray now that your spirit will work in our hearts and bring healing and deliverance and change in the name of Jesus. Amen.